within the, 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 the confines of the, the will to power, the, the, the desire for power. Yeah. Um, and taking that to the point where the collision happens between yeah. one force and another. I'm going to try to avoid saying good versus bad or sure, sure. try to, like, when these two forces collide, yeah. what happens? Yeah. Are they going to have a debate in the mind? Or are they going to have a debate in yeah. the fists? And clearly, what we see from humans is that we solve our problems through violence. Yes. And, and so, all of civilization, unfortunately, all of civilization, all of our, our, our society, down to the city level is yeah. enforced by violence because what's law enforcement exactly. violence welcome to the qr lab this is where we question reality but we're also on a quest to try to understand our reality there's so many questions and Luckily, there's a lot of answers, but you know you have to put things together. My name's Kuldeep Tagore, and I'm here with my main man. Amr Zeki, how are you? Doing good today. How are you? Doing great. Thank you. <clears throat> feeling, feeling powerful today? <laughs> I'd like to. <laughs> how are you feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling good. Um, this is, uh, was a great weekend. Oppenheimer came out. And, uh, Talk about power, huh? Yeah, <laughs> he unleashed it. Probably the greatest power the uh, the world has seen. Yeah, the power of the atom. Yeah, I mean, I think his skill was in that he was able to put enough minds together, enough great ideas, inspire, and you know, motivate, cultivate um, the right environment in which you could uh, do amazing things, move the earth, if you will, literally. Absolutely no. <clears throat> this podcast is, we've been thinking for a while now to write about a, or discuss a topic that's kind of taboo, at least in the Western culture, which is the idea or the topic of power, right? And, you know, people always use the term, oh, power this, power hungry. It has a negative connotation. But what I found was, excuse me, was interesting is certain philosophical perspectives on what power is. For example, Friedrich Nietzsche wrote about will to power. Arthur Schopenhauer wrote about, you know, will to life. Uh, of course, Schopenhauer preceded uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, so there's the, the the he came after Immanuel Kant. You know, Arthur Schopenhauer, the will to life, and then Friedrich Nietzsche came after that. The will to power was was his his contribution. So, <clears throat> uh, shall I read from something I wrote? Um, just in my own writer's journal. Yes, please. So, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Pardon me. In the end, it is your mind, consciousness, and spirit. This is the source of true power, and it is this that compounds and can seize or develop external power. There are many facets to this gem, the metaphor for power. Power comes in many forms, even the materially poor can have power, perhaps to a smaller uh, degree or scale. But when opportunities arise, they will grow their influence within their social circle or larger community. Ultimately, one aspect of power is that it is about one thing, influence. And influence, another multifaceted complex concept, also has many shades of manifestation. Nietzsche's ideas on the will to power also states this will is neither good nor bad, but it is a cosmic force in everything that lives and has biological, psychological, and metaphysical elements. He feels that the best manifestation of this will to power is its sublimation into creative activity. When this will leads to mastery and shows a creative force in the world, then it is the highest form of the will to power. There is much more to Nietzsche's concept I will not cover here. But this notion of his made me wonder about my creative impulses and my love to create, whether it is my drawings, paintings, filmmaking, guitar playing, musical composition, creative writing, screenwriting, my scientific research, etc. Is this my attempt to be powerful without realizing it? Is this what Friedrich Nietzsche meant? Is this my will to power? What about the drive to have children and propagate? 
Is this my biological will to power, to send my seed, my flesh, into the world of countless generations to come? Yes, perhaps from the Anishian perspective. And was he so wrong? Or is he brilliantly dead right? My sense is that some deep aspect of his idea is indeed true. This analysis and the expansion of what power really is makes me rethink of how we live our lives. Take pause. Almost every move we make, whether we are strong or weak, is to manifest our power because this takes many forms and can manifest in countless ways. I don't want to conflate what Nietzsche thought with my understanding of power, but much of what he says I find sensible. So, while I felt secure in myself all these years, not caring for outer external power, I've been, like all other creatures, living a life where aspects of my behavior <clears throat> is clearly seeking and establishing power in the world, at least, at least from the perspective of Nietzsche and his concept. This seems to be a natural process that cannot be avoided or subdued. All my efforts to create, to grow, to discover, to evolve are all attempts to be powerful in the creative sense and to expound power from that perspective, from the inner into the external world. Perhaps this is unconscious because it is natural and because it seems good being a benefit to others and to the self. This is a key insight because it redefines how one thinks about others and their positioning for power and influence. It isn't all good, especially at the work environment. There is the potential for subtle corruption, for cruelty, for evil and dark action, for domination, for destruction and deception and lethal competition and so on. Those who are weak will still want to and pursue power, but they'll do it and they'll do so in more subtle ways. They'll seek to impose their values in more cunning ways. They'll circumvent direct action. They'll find a way. Be aware of the weak when they rise to the top and wield outer power. Be aware of the weak if they win. They will make you suffer. A lot there. <clears throat> That's just a small uh, section. The idea here, just if I could just summarize the key yeah, idea. So, I, yeah. I apologize. It was a little longer than I expected. But the idea is that if you accept the modern definition contemporary definition of power, at least as it's understood in the modern American Western culture, you kind of have a negative connotation. That's the cultural tone. And most people say, well, I'm not interested in power. I'm not seeking power, etc. But from, from it's, the... It's because of the, the potential for abuse. And that's heavily correct. ingrained in American uh, psychology. I mean, this, this country is very much derived from, uh, you know, this idea that we needed to run away from a king. Yeah. Uh, that king had too much power over us and that we need freedom. And so this... And look at our political system right. is based so, so on... I, on I, I would agree that I think there is a, a very strong negative connotation to the word power, the ideas of power that if people get... just And, and it's based on the idea if people get too powerful, that they will wield it unfairly or unjustly. Hence the political separation of powers Hence, that we have in the Constitution. Right. But what's interesting about... And again, I wrote... The first part of what I wrote, I really didn't read, which was sort of a more broader conception of what power is. And then I brought it to will, uh, will to power, which is which is Nietzsche's perspective. So that's the part I really read. And so, But I found his perspective very interesting, and I, and I resonated with it, because what he's really saying is <clears throat> there's so many different kinds of power, right? You can pursue real, nefarious, underhanded type, you know, domineering, more of the negative aspect of, of power. But he's saying the highest form of human power or will to power is its sublimation into the arts, into creativity, so that the highest level of human power is when you are creating something. And and ideally, it's not a nuclear bomb, as in the case of what you just mentioned, Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Ideally, it's something like a great film or a musical composition, you know, uh, some beautiful uh, painting, etc. So, or even scientific or mathematical creativity, right? That's really what he's talking about. So when I was reflecting on myself, and I'm seeing the these kind of the impulse that I have to constantly bring creation, meaning through creative activities, as I mentioned, I then started understanding that's my pursuit of power. I'm not interested in like having power over people. That's I consider that a negative aspect. That that's completely like nefarious and dark. My will to power is basically having children. You know, building progeny, uh, you know, 
even actually building relationships in a way that is a there is some creativity in human relationships involved. All my artistic endeavors, right, even my research, is a manifestation of that will to power because it's subliming into the arts, right. And when I understood that, I said, okay, I have been pursuing that kind of power my entire life, right. Even when you're a kid and you're you're building Legos, that's that's your sublimation into the arts. So it's a, I thought of a very interesting perspective because it helped me recalibrate the it made, made a broader definition of what power actually is. <clears throat> or at least can be conceived as. I, I think that this thing of power though is interesting because I think it does merge with egotism. Uh, not egotism, egoism. And I think it's very, very egoic. I think it's centered in 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 that space. Yes. This is this is a concept of self-motivation or 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 driving yourself. Uh, even maybe to the point, as you said, sublimation or self-overcoming. Yeah. You know, um, so I, I, I think it's, it's, it's a, it's a double-edged sword in a way. Um, it definitely motivates us to do great things. And I think it's, I think it's most important when you achieve a level where you are contributing and helping other people the most, I want to say, I mean, effortless <coughs> sort of way. I think when you're pursuing this end for your own selfish gain, I think then, you know, there. I think that's really the worst form of power is when when you see somebody pursuing, uh, you know, power in a way that is purely derived for their own benefit. Right. Right. And, and, and that they're willing to do things, um, rip apart our laws. Um, bribe people, um, do, break every law imaginable, y you know, in order to, uh, to uh, obtain that power, to, to, ma to maintain it, to keep it. And it, it becomes a thing where the, it's almost like you have to keep breaking the law to do it. You have to keep br up, uprooting your, your morals and your standards. That's, I think that's where power really, you know, falls apart. And it's fleeting. You know, your, your power it, is always it, fleeting. It doesn't seem like that. When, when these really evil people are in power. It doesn't seem fleeting. By the way, they think they're it doing seems, good. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, of course. I mean, they think that's, that's... Look, I mean, you know, when you get inside the mind of an evil person, and we've seen this over and over again, they sound exactly like, the, like, they, like they're good. <laughs> you know, they're putting it forward that they're doing... So is this really an issue of perspective? I don't think it is. I think it's very clear, and even this argument of power, the way you've sort of defined it, uh, is is critical, because when you are doing something uh, that is purely self-centered and you're harming other people in order to do that thing, yeah, that's the lowest form, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, that, so I mean, certainly these philosophers, Nietzsche would look at that as, yeah, well, that that's absolutely the lowest. That's the, the worst. It's the worst form. It's the yeah. polar opposite of doing something for creative purposes, to give to the world, to give something of benefit. Yeah, it's a difference between becoming a hero and a villain, right? So so what I, I drew a little diagram as I was trying to understand this, and I said, okay, power equals influence over yourself, but also over the external world. You have the inner, which is your spirit, and then you have the outer, which is material, physical, you know, um, uh, political, personal, etc., and then you're moving in the world, and you're moving the world in a certain direction because you have that power, right? It's partly personal and partly external. So that power that you have is sort of taking, you know, two different domains, right? And then you, if you're able to have some success, you're kind of, I don't want to say bending reality because reality can't really be bent, but you're, you're achieving certain goals. And then in the end, depending on what you're actually doing, you're either a hero or a villain, which is really what you're getting at. So so power is a double-edged sword, as you stated earlier. And you can easily fall into the trap of villainy. Well, I mean, I think that there are many historical figures that we might look back on in a very positive light, you know. Um, but when you actually look and see what they were doing, it was actually, you know, kind of butchery. Yeah. I mean, I, let's just pick somebody, you know, from the, from the ancients. It would be like Alexander the Great. Yeah. He just invaded a, a, a yeah. butcher, a surgeon, or is he yeah. actually like a 
Napoleon, right, is another. Napoleon. Yeah. I think the, so these are... How many? There's many of them. There's right? so many. Yeah. I think if you look back, and it does become an issue of, you know, that what have they contributed? You know, what is the contribution? The con- contribution is fairly significant when it comes to Alexander, right? Because... Because of that, now, whether this is the right way to do it or not, could there have been another way? Maybe. But because of that, there's this this cross-contamination of cultures, right? People start to see yeah. how things are being done. Roads start to be built to try to get yeah. you know, from this area to this area. So Rome, Rome is a so, very violent culture. I mean. Yeah, incredibly violent. And, you know, when you when you look at this, you know, say, for example, somebody like Alexander the Great, who probably butchered and killed millions in the course of his conquests. I, I don't know that if that's the case. He certainly invaded. But the person that comes to mind who really was egregious is, is Genghis Khan and, and his <laughs> well, project. We know he killed like Ocha- I mean, they, they would basically just, for terror, execute... Yeah. He would be a better example here. Yeah, I mean, they would. He he's probably responsible for millions of deaths. What because- is Genghis Khan's will to power? Why is he doing this? <laughs> I mean, you know, killing 125,000 people in a day systematically using a system of collecting their ears so that you can keep track of the actual butchery. Yeah. What's the purpose here? I think a lot of it was to um, cause terror so the word gets out. So conquering it. Well, he was more interested in subduing people. He he really didn't want to do that unless he had to. But why do it in the first place? I know. Well, this is it's violence gets things done, unfortunately. So this is um this is an interesting and very dark way of, I mean can can we look at this and define this as inherently evil? Of course, I mean in twelve I can tell you details because I've researched uh, at least one aspect of one of his invasions. In twelve fifty eight A D, when the Abbasid Caliphate in Baghdad was destroyed, uh, he it was actually Holago. I think it was it's either his son or grandson that was in charge of that basically sent the caliph a letter saying, if you don't surrender and basically become like a vassal state, he's like, we're going to come in and we're going to wipe you out. He says, you can't even escape into the sky. <laughs> he was saying, not only can you not, I mean, he was using very profound language. And of course, from the caliph's perspective, he didn't want to do that because being a Muslim, they worship God, right? And they don't want to, they want to demean themselves and become inferior to someone who is you know, a non-believer or whatever, right? So right. It, it was causing him political problems, let alone spiritual problems. So he basically, he refused, and then the invasion happened, 50,000 soldiers were wiped out. Come, They come into the city, and they basically gather everybody. They burn, you know, the House of uh, Wisdom. They, they say the Tigris and Euphrates were, you know, blue with the ink of the books that were destroyed and tossed. Mm. And then they basically proceeded to behead every man, woman, and child, elderly, everybody, and all the animals. And they and, and they did it day and night nonstop. And they said that the heads were piled up in like big cones, right, big, huge. And they basically um, would not stop because there were so many people. I think the city had almost a, a million people, maybe, maybe 500,000, I don't know that the stench from the dead bodies was so bad, Genghis, not Genghis, excuse me, Hulago Khan and, and his generals had to leave the city because it was so unhygienic. Yeah. And and they basically did that until every single person was massacred. And then that word went out into like Syria and, you know, the other, you know, uh, Arab and Islamic forces, and they just got together and then they defeated them. When they w- were entering into, when they left that region and they moved towards uh, Syria and Palestine, they were stopped, basically, because they were, you know, the, the Arab forces got together and, and were able well, to I, I mean, I think you're, you're, you're illustrating the point that this mechanism of evil, violent self-destruction—I keep using the word evil, but I mean, I, you know, it, I know it's an, a matter of perspective, but I think this mechanism of violence is detestable. It, it, it will be defeated. People will rise up and use that violence against you and— so I, th- I think it's kind of a responsibility to, yeah. you know, when you're... That's why I, I, I get concerned about some of the, you know, the current dictators that we might, you know, encounter in, in our everyday news cycle um, uh, being perhaps villainized for what they're doing, and r- perhaps rightfully so. Um, but people like this get pushed into a corner. You know, what are they going to do? Yeah. You know, and this... This 
essentially there are people that believe that there is only winning. They can't lose. They won't accept a loss. Right. Loss is death. Yeah. They're not going to die. So they're going to do everything in their power to win. I mean, in the end, you know, even mortal enemies in the end, they have to at some point make peace because you can't go on just... I think, if you're, I think if you're smart, it just depends <laughs> Depends on the lunacy. It depends, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. Hitler was more than willing to, to ride that train right in the ground. I mean, to the point of, you know, he executed himself is what we... He went against uh, his own generals. Yeah. And, and there was uh, some suggestion that they were trying to stop him as well, and they mm-hmm. were not successful, I guess. But yeah, I mean, there is a level of insanity that comes... Um, but but ultimately, most tyrants get defeated. You know, with this span of time, they lose their power. They they this internal or external. So you know what's interesting here, and you know, in this discussion of power is, you know, we've kind of brought it down to you know the twentieth century's view of this. You know, yeah. it, certainly Germany used <clears throat> Nietzsche, um, a philosophy to put forward this idea that they should be. Uh, that's one of the reasons why Nietzsche might be controversial because his ideas can be used in ways that are open to interpretation. They're right? open to interpret yeah. absolutely, but I think what the 20th century has taught us is that we cannot allow this sort of unilateral power. And what what's happened? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I now I want to apply the concepts here. Let's see yeah. what we're talking about. You know, on a, on a broader spectrum. I know that you really began the conversation talking about you know your own you know how your yeah. creative juices is, are, is your own world of power. I think that's very interesting, but you know, that's more of a individual level uh, looking at power in terms of systems, earth systems, people, organizations, um, our future. Like what are we looking at here in the 21st century? Have we learned nothing from the 20th century? My, my, I'm very close to saying yes to that. Yeah. I, although I do hear voices of reason. I hear voices um, that are bringing up, these issues and and trying these issues meaning this idea that we cannot allow fascism to come back and yeah. and, again, and it is making a massive comeback it is yeah. it's like you know it's like the hansel of of uh <laughs> political ideologies these days okay anybody with zoolander reference might get that hansel is so <laughs> hot right now y'all hello hello that's a very funny movie yeah zoolander ben, so ben stiller right yeah so yeah. Uh, right fascism is the hansel of <laughs> political ideologies right now so hot everybody's in the philippines are in the yeah. russians are in the americans are about 30 percent into the idea well, of i think uh, completely turning this into well, an american dictatorship there's a thread there that is interesting that you said that because it has to do with also a populist uh, sentiment that's across the world right now being a populist and, and right you know sort of they call right wing you know it's happening all over um, and I that, mean the the Indian subcontinent is is in is in major concern right now. I mean it's hard to talk about, but I mean they are clearly uh, giving into some horribly fascist yeah. ideologies, and and uh, you know minority populations like Muslims in these countries are in yeah they're in serious peril. They're, they're Muslims this is no are, joke. Are under attack all over the all world. over the world. Yeah. <clears throat> and, but that's. That's unfortunate, but <clears throat> in any any religious minority should be protected because that's uh, like we talked about before. People's religion is their dignity. So even if you are the dominant uh, religion in the culture, you you have to by just ethics respect other people's religion because that is part of their identity and their dignity and their ancestry. Religion is a personal choice. And Even if you don't believe in it, and you think, and and there are people who, uh, not only do they not believe in religion, they they look at religion as kind of a, also as kind of an evil, you know, it or yeah. at least protecting evil. I mean, certainly in the example of the uh, Catholic Church, who protected yeah. you know, many priests, that so so that's a problem, right? And it's not religion. I think you're, yeah. you know we would agree that's not religion. That's that those are yeah. those are people who yeah. are subject to, you know, their behaviors, own right? Behaviors, yeah. and so we should be careful. But I, I think it is. I think it's a beautiful thing to say that people's personal beliefs uh, do comprise a component of their integrity, of their essence, of who they are personally at that core level, dignity, right? And yeah. we've discussed how core beliefs, when they are attacked, trigger in the brain, fight or flight. 
yeah, like yeah. A, a, an actual sympathetic response, as if your brain cannot distinguish between an actual physical violent attack versus exactly. somebody attacking your core value. Another reason to respect people's exactly because anytime so here's the assessment that very important to actually understand this on a on a right um, because one day you're winning the next day you're going to be losing and those people are going to come with a vengeance so it's better to show mercy and it's better to show a level of respectful tolerance because what you said was really key i i really want to emphasize if you assault something that is part of people's deep core belief system or their dignity you're it's a violent attack you're assailing something that is so precious that what you're going to get in response is violence. Even right. even if you didn't start with physical violence, you may get that as a reaction because that's a weaker population. Hence, this idea of terrorism, right? Which is, you know, who who's a bigger terrorist? The terroristic state, which is acting, you know, in, in, in a mechanical, right. systematic format, or right. somebody who is acting out of desperation, right. of, out of will to power, if you will, right? N not to justify at terroristic acts from either side that are hurting innocent people, that's always not acceptable, right? So anyway, get, getting back to the point, <clears throat> that's a critical point, which is the respect for religious belief is important because it's tied to dignity. Now, let's say there was no religion. There is some other uh, variable that has something to do with dignity. If you assail it, you're going to have the same response, right? Because human beings innately have a sense of dignity. Right, doesn't matter like how poor, how rich, how educated. There is basic dignity everybody has by virtue of being a human being. And so even like the lowest person, right? Whatever you define as a low person, right? I'm gonna leave that, still has dignity and still has human life that is worthwhile that that has to be properly treated. Even someone who is I mean, like the Dahmers, right? There's some people who have done such horrific things that they should just be executed, right? That even that has to be done in a dignified manner, right? Mm, there's, yeah. there's a basic level of dignity, even for your most rapacious, like you said, evil, demonic, however you want to say it. Those are all detestable. Even there's not even a word for it, right? It's well, so because bad. if you, <clears throat> even if you're taking, even if because you become the, like them, I was just <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you. Seriously, yeah. because no, that's what I was going to say. Uh, uh, you know uh, that that uh, if if you don't give them that, then you you're no different. Than you're them. no different. Yeah, right? be, because so, if you torture and you take revenge, then you're and, not on the higher plane anymore. You're not, and and you do things just to hurt them. To yeah, make yeah, them that's suffer. not that's I mean, not it. That's why that's why being you know putting yourself on that higher plane is so much more difficult because you have to adhere to the law. You have to adhere to and the rule. spiritual and moral law, right? Because you know this yeah. is the, the question. This is the question, right? Like, in order to catch the bad guy, you have to like okay, right. Batman, the vigilante, is to break every law, but he doesn't kill. So, so there right. is a law that he will stop at. There's right. a line there's where a, he there's a limit, right? Yeah. And so, you know, this is why people were so upset at uh, uh, Zack Snyder's Man of Steel is yeah. because at the end of that film, he actually kills General Zod. He snaps and breaks his neck. That's not incredibly Superman. dark. It's yeah. not Superman. But right. I'll tell you what, I in the context of that movie where like Zod had already killed like three thousand people, wasn't going to stop. <laughs> You know, you we can this see now. This yeah. is where I think it becomes very interesting to have these kind of debates. I don't think there is a, a clear cut answer, but yeah. uh, you know, within, within the, yeah. the 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 confines of the the will to power, the the, the desire for power, yeah. um, and taking that to the point where the collision happens between yeah. one force and another. I'm gonna try to avoid saying good versus bad, or sure, try sure. to like when these two forces collide. Yeah. What happens? Yeah, are they going to have a debate in the mind? Are they going to have a debate in yeah. the fists? And clearly, what we see from humans is that we solve our problems through violence. Yes, and, and so all of civil, unfortunately, all of civilization, all of our our, our society, down to the city level, is yeah. enforced by violence. Because what's law enforcement? Exactly. Violence. But right. even at but a, it's at, necessary. A, at the highest level, people who become insurgents, people who become uh, threats to the to the government because they hold or espouse certain ideas, those people get killed, can get killed if yes. they get too powerful, if they get to positions where they are a threat. We've seen assassinations that, that have happened within our own uh, society here. It's not like it doesn't. Right. I mean, 
It happens probably all the I time. I mean, now, now the yeah. right way to handle this is to bring these people to light and use the law. The law should be constructed in a way that it protects the innocent and is there to um, basically put the bad guys in jail. Yeah. But unfortunately, we 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 are always operating. And so I, I, I think that this idea, okay, uh, what we're going to come down to here is that there will be an organization of the minds that are that will coalesce around this idea of how are we going to share power because we know that one person can't have it all there can be a king but there can be a group of us, us. Uh, unless there's a very noble king like Marcus Aurelius yeah and sure. those are extremely rare, rare in human history right and and honestly um, you're dealing with and now when you get to this level this uh, you know I, I definitely I'm I think when I start talking like this, I always I'm very wary of sounding like a conspiracy theorist, right? Because I think, you know, people do not want to hear it. They don't want to hear it because it just can't be proved. You know, you you'll keep indicating, you keep pointing the finger. It's like you point your fingers, but you don't actually ever see what it is the finger is pointing at. You're too busy looking at the finger. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that that's why. We can't really have discussion, like a, a, a discussion about who is in control of the world, right? Noam Chomsky wrote a book on this subject. Why would he write a word? Why would he, if you've read it, he never actually answers the question. He no. totally leaves it up to you. He doesn't know, actually. No, he doesn't. No. And even though you can put throw out a bunch of names, you can't actually create the the the, the threads there's that too will much, hold the too argument together. With it, I agree. I, I think there's too much... That we don't know, even though a lot of these organizations, World Economic Forum, Forum, the United Nations, Trilateral Commission, all these organizations that have some suspicious activities, they do publish very clearly like, yeah, we want a one world government because we think it's going to bring peace. No, they, they don't. Well, that's they what want they say. Because look, look at it. Just keep like, this whole discussion is about what <clears throat> our motivation. Right. And I mean, even this should be looked at. Nietzsche probably looked at this as an irrational way. Of conducting yourself. Yes. Right? So, but look at what's happening. It will happen. Like I said, this, the, 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 they know, they, see, start using these words, but the people in power who have the money, who have the access, who have all the means. Influence. Yeah. They have influence. They have friends. They, they have organizations. They are, they have many people who are under them that are, that actually need this person on top to, to continue to you know succeed and do well in order to keep the companies going to keep the corporations alive to keep the money flowing into the hands of you know shareholders or what have you i mean this this human beings have not demonstrated any sort of ability to be well, beneficent in this regard th- th- why why would we assume that our co- our so, country is so frederick nietzsche in a way he was probably the greatest psychologist at least philosophical psychologist Kind of addressed this in his own way when, when you know you know that quote and he says you know God is dead and we have killed him yeah there, there's a whole another part of it which goes along the lines of and and not you know all the water or all the oceans in the world will not never wash the blood off our hands <clears throat> basically what he's saying is if you don't have God in the equation in in human psychology what's going to replace him is mass murder so he predicted the tens or hundreds of millions actually that have that have been killed as a result of communism and fascism in all the world wars, he predicted it having known nothing. Just knowing. That that it was going to come, which is absolutely brilliant because he understood something, which is getting back to what you said earlier, shareholders. Right? What is their primary directive? It's not to take care of the planet and to have an ethical and to follow the moral order. But I mean, the, shareholders the have to make money. But shareholding is just a, it's, it's a completely fabricated concept. It's, it's just an it's idea. An, we just came up with this idea of a shareholder. It's like, because to the shareholders, like the, a, a, the value is money. We think that's inferior to the spiritual law, which is take care of the planet first. Meaning that if your corporation is engaged in activities that are going to destroy the planet, that trumps that. Meaning caring for the planet and the dignity of human beings must trump that within reason, Right. Well, you know, we, we dropped a couple hundred billion gallons of oil into the uh, ocean. But, hey, look at all the gas that we did bring you. Hey, I mean, also, hey, hey, to make an omelet, you got to break a couple eggs. Are we, you know? are we inadvertent hypocrites because we're using cars and we're traveling? Absolutely. So what do we do? 
What do we do? I mean, we have this podcast, and we're discussing these important topics. All, but yeah, all we can do is hopefully bring these ideas up. It, they have to be examined. Actually, there is something you can Our do. own hypocrisy has to be examined. Actually, there is something. Thank you. You, you said it. Don't invest in corporations when you're you know, buying stocks that you know behave this way. There are some corporations that have certain uh, commitments to the environment. Actually, they give them a rating. There's, there's a, a rating. I, I forgot what it's called, but when you go buy the stock, you can look it up. There's a rating on their um, their responsibility in terms of environment and you know climate change. Yeah, like I, I only want to support corporations right. that are yeah. doing beneficent work. Yeah, right? they're, they're they're not you know they're cleaning up their their toxic waste. Right. They, they they don't just dump it in the rivers. They actually have a mechanism where they, they don't some need. sense of responsibility. Exactly. So yeah. so so are we inadvertently contributing? Like we should go look at our stock portfolios or like how you go to Costco, you're buying. Like, do you know all the vendors? What they're doing? Yeah, this becomes difficult, right? I mean, well, well th here's the problem: you can philosophize, we can talk about ideas, and they're important. There's nothing wrong with philosophy. There's a pragmatic utility to increasing your knowledge and having some enlightened idea, but to guide action, which is the point of philosophy. But then the pragmatic aspect is: once you have this knowledge, how do you actually live your life so that you are not contributing to the things that violate what you consider to be? something of, of a higher ethical or moral order. Yeah, I'll give you an example. Um, I bought an electric car, right? I mean, a lot of my motivation there was this is the technology. Carbon emissions, be, right? Well, I, okay, so <laughs> what I want to say about that is that, you know, these cars utilize batteries Lithium. that also really contribute to some detriment to the environment. So You can't get rid of them once you make these batteries. That's right, the and so they're going to be contributing to a lot of environmental Harm what does Elon Musk have to say about this? I actually, I, I'm curious about this question. I mean, they, they've got to come up with an idea. That, but but but, yeah. but they say, well, at least you know we're not putting carbon emissions in the air. I don't think that's all there is to it. I mean, we also know that this issue about carbon emissions come, also comes down to the concept of methane, and you know that's that's not that can only be controlled by our the agriculture, right? Agri that's a, yeah. yeah. So so that's crazy. Man. So you know, if you re and then now you're talking about something that's really controversial. I mean, I don't know if you remember when Oprah attacked the uh, beef industry, but you know, she she did it once and she never did it again. That's how powerful that industry. They is. brought the kibosh, right? They they just they sent they brought somebody, the kebabs. They sent two guys. <laughs> yeah, they sent two guys in suits. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what happened. Nobody they, knows. They probably I mean, they probably told the corporation. They said if she doesn't stop, we're firing her. You know, you have to fire her. And they they, they probably came and said, like, yeah, but she's super, she's Oprah. She's God. Like I mean, not God, but you know what I mean. Like oh, yeah, she's who knows. Who, but I'm just saying know. that even she was subject to, you know, some censorship. form of say, yeah, yeah, censorship. And you know what? Um, I don't want to get too off topic here, but recently censorship has come up as a major issue in our own country. I mean, they're holding hearings regarding censorship. And it's interesting the people that are being censored. RFK Jr., did you see the letter he got? Yes. They're, they're basically warning him not to talk about this, this, or that. And then he went and had a hearing about it. Right. And he's like, you guys are, that's an official document right, that you're he, directly censoring me. Okay, so he he was attacked by Debbie Wasserman Schultz. She's uh, she, a disaster. Well, she was attacked by key, he was attacked by key Democrats who were basically accusing him of blatant anti-Semitism because of statements he made about the vaccine. Now, whether, whether you know, these can be interpreted as anti-Semitic or not, that's one thing. But to dismiss him and to not allow him to speak and basically, you know, they were basically saying anything you have to say at this point is just not... I think, I think it's a, the whole thing is a hit piece on him. They don't want him... They don't want because him. Because they know he's... Well, he, popular he can, and getting he, more popular. He can speak extemporaneously for an hour and a half without any difficulty, right. and he is completely engaging. Right. I have heard him on numerous podcasts. Now, just on that skill alone, he really deserves to be listened to. I just wish his voice, he's got this, this kind of... He has of, spasmodic dysphonia, yeah, so he is hard guy. to listen to, yeah. but I listen to him on two times speed. It actually is pretty... Yeah, pretty li uh, listenable. I think. Poor guy. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. He can't stand listening to his own voice either. I mean, it's interesting. But you know, know the, that he the, has the, that problem. The, the, the other thing I, I kind of admire about him is the guy's totally like ripped. He's sixty nine and he just like He's, bench presses yeah. and he works out. He's totally like. I, I don't think he tries to show that off, but there are you know videos of him like you yeah. know working out, and pumping doing, iron. Dude. He's he is ripped. <laughs> There's no yeah, question. Which, which is awesome. Like yeah. you know, and also when he just wears a suit. 
He's just like popping out of that thing. Yeah, I, I think he would be an incredibly popular president um, if people were allowed to hear. You know, he's being dismissed as an anti-vaxxer, although he keeps saying, I'm not anti-vax, but he says things like, well, vaccines have hurt people. But what does that say about people? The, the fact that there's all this social media, he's all over the place. If If... People are, if the average person is still listening, you know, it's. But is it dangerous for him to say vaccines hurt people? Is that a dangerous thing for him to say? Two words free speech, okay? Free speech. But to a point, right? Is he he blowing. It's not libel. It's not libel. And he's not saying, he's not walking into a theater to say fire. Okay. That's not happening. What, What he and any reasonable person, when they come in. Okay, let me ask you a question. And you and I just, no, you and I discuss this. Why is it that the drug industry was able to lobby that of all the treatments they generate, that vaccines are completely immune from being sued, right? Because they know they would because because they cause harm. You know, you and I know that. You know what Reagan said? He said, "Can you make the vaccine safe?" Okay, you and I know every patient that we see in clinic. I'm giving vaccines every day in clinic. Yeah, they get a, a rap sheet of all the side effects. Guillain-Barre, you know, you name it, that the flu shot and and all these other, there's always side effects. There's no such thing as a safe vaccine. The, the question is how safe? So that's the question he's raising is, look, we have emergency authorization. We haven't done proper testing on this. I'm raising the question. There needs to be a discussion on what is the long-term safety of these? We know they're short-term. Well, there's a lot of deaths from short-term too, but they're generally safe short-term. Long-term, we don't know. It's a very legitimate question. He's asking, why don't they do? Right. What, what is the industry standard of randomized placebo-controlled trials? Why are vaccines exempt from that? They say, well, they have done it. Well, they don't do it before the licensing for these. Like, I mean, they, they get to market way before that. They do run safety tests. I mean, there's no question that there are safety, you know, evaluations that go on in, in the trial process. But he's asking, why isn't the most rigorous standard not used? It's, you know, a, it's for, a, for that. It's and a fair and straightforward it, question. It, it is a fair question, but the, the, the this is what I'm asking you, and I want to discuss for a second, is why why is it that him even bringing it up, even questioning it, is triggers everybody's red light. And I say everybody, I'm saying, but definitely triggers the media, the corporations' red light. Like, oh no, this guy is anti-science. He's anti-vax. They're using it as an excuse to knock him down in the competitive marketplace of ideas during a political season. That's they're using anything they can they can to discredit him. I think when they when you jump into the They're end, afraid of him because clearly Biden is like he's 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 comatose. Yeah, he is comatose. Um, but you know, he's stable, right? I mean, he's a he's like a stable entity. I think that that is what people stable, like. Stable, it means he's under control. That means people are telling him what to do. Well, I mean, I think every president has some degree of that. Of course. You know, right. I don't think you I, I think it's difficult to ascend to the presidency without listening. Sure. And of and course, I maybe, yeah. you know, if you want to discuss, you know, people that uh, you know, presidents that were a little bit more immune to uh, outside influence, if you will, or corporate influence, or or big money influence, you know, we can talk about those people. Maybe even one of them might be Trump, who yeah. would have been. But it doesn't seem that he was way. Influ- but he was influenced too. It, it, it seems that way to me because I mean, you know, he goes into a room and you know, of all of them, he said, "Hey, I just made you guys super rich with the big tax cut I gave you. Why would you pander to them, right? If you're supposed to be the ultra." I'm cleaning the swamp. I'm not like. Listen, man. The, the 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 politics at that level, like once you become president, I think here's what happens: the suits walk in, they come in, they sit you down, they say, "This is how things are really done. Your schedule's pre-made, right? Every day, these are the things you're gonna do. Our foreign policy on this issue or that issue or that issue has been in the making for 50 years. These are the reports from our think tanks. They follow the think tanks because the think tanks have people who are intellectuals who know geopolitical history and can make projections and assessments. The president isn't going to figure out foreign policy. They go according to what diplomacy, standards, existing relationships and treaties, and these think tanks have projected into the future. So what happens like when 
U.S. policy is that we are going to promote NATO and countries to join NATO, especially the ones that are close to Russia. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That that obviously is going to inflame the Russians, That's, right? They they do not like that. That would be like if Russia was up in like trying to get Mexico to join. It's you know, like it's alliance. Like, it's it's just like yeah. you it's can't like, you can't do that. It's like, like if Russia brought their nuke. I mean, it, 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 this is called the um, uh, the Truman Doctrine, right? Yeah, it's it's it, what happened with the Cuban Missile Crisis with JFK is Khrushchev brought just a few ships and he wanted to set up you know nuclear weapons in Cuba. There, it was insanity what happened. Now imagine if he did that and had missiles lined up on the borders of Canada and Mexico. Of course, the United States would go nuts. Not happening. Right, it's and not going to happen. So that's the perspective you have to take when you look at when you look at Russia. Although nobody's in favor of invading well, other you, countries. You mentioned Cuba. We we had rockets in um, Turkey. And, and and the, the the deal the negotiated deal was okay. Look, we'll pull the ro- you know we'll mm-hmm. pull the rockets from Turkey. You get out of Cuba. Right. Okay, can we walk away from this, please? That was a phone conversation JFK had directly with was with behind the scenes. The media we didn't were know about so it. close to nuclear. The media didn't know about this because they didn't want to show JFK losing face. Right. Because they didn't want to show that we worked out a deal with the devil, quote unquote. When in fact the political realities are, you either destroy the world or you shake hands with your opponent because. That's a lesser evil than utter annihilation. Right. So what happens when this policy— Back to power. No, no, no. What happens when this policy— Sorry. (laughs) What happens when this policy is brought toward a president who doesn't agree Oh, yeah, yeah. I think definitely an element with Trump is he has a rebellious nature, and there's things that he did that— the people who handle the president, right? Like I said, there's all these policies and think tanks and some of those things. He just, he, you know, like the Israeli policy, no. <laughs> he, in fact, accelerated that. Right. You know, what he did with 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 um, uh, with, with Jerusalem, right? Um, which caused, I mean, decades worth of damage in terms of, you know, the ability to make proper peace deals. So, you know, that was not good. Um so certain things he he certainly followed, and other things he did not. Now bringing this back to uh, bringing this back to power, right? Power has so many shades of meaning, right? And I don't believe there's ever any absolute power. Power is always amenable to being diminished and lost at all times. That's why people who have it really become corrupted because they want to hold on to it, and it's slippery. It's hard to hold on to. And so when you're in that position, you realize how precarious your position is. Mm. And, and you've w- heard the saying, like, you relinquish power, you actually gain power. You've heard this kind of paradoxical Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a certain paradox. Exactly. Yeah, don't try to hold on to it. Right, exactly. So it's interesting. We're talking about, you know, Trump and JFK and all these different, you know, uh, historical events. They do have to do with power, actually. They do have to because— We're talking the, about the ultimate. The, right? the yeah, people yeah, the, who are in the, in the most— highest levels of I mean, quote-unquote power over other people. The, they can make decisions that will completely change your life. That's power. The <laughs> American president is clothed with so much power, even though we have separation of powers, right, is still probably the most powerful person on the planet. Uh, I would agree. And that person, when they are in that position, I mean, there has to be some allure, you know, <laughs> towards using that power. And and there's there's I'm sure many things we don't know because the the president gets intelligence reports. Every they know things. They probably know things about you know UFOs or aliens that that you know certain information that we don't know we're not privy to. They're they're exposed. It's UAPs now, by the way. Exactly UAPs. They're exposed to all kinds of information that changes that power equation. So they realize once they get that position that some of their power is actually diminished. They don't have as much power as they think. But then they realize they have other powers they did not appreciate, right? Because then they're just they the lawyer sits them down and tells them these are the things you can do, your executive powers, and these are things you can't do, right? And these are the policies we're following, and these are the, these are the policies that are under development. These are the things that are, you know, what do they call them? Sacred cows that you're not ever going to say or go after. This information can never be revealed. It's ultra top, top, top. There's probably some presidents that don't reveal all the information to them because if they assess their psychology is not secure, perhaps like Trump, they, there's information they don't tell them. 
<laughs> like like the intelligence They're agencies. Like, like uh, yeah, yeah, let's leave that one out. We're not going to tell them. Or about even this. Biden. I mean, Biden is. I mean, he's God knows what he would say or wouldn't right, say. Right, right, right. So, so this is the problem: is is that we don't know because we're not in that position. So we don't actually know the full spectrum of what that position is all about. We're only given the external appearance. You know, oh, the president, he's like a CEO, you know, X, Y, Z. We don't really understand what happens behind the scenes and all the elements that are involved. <coughs> Excuse me. And by the way, all the secret meetings that, that they have with dignitaries, diplomats, world leaders, there could be on the media right now a massive, like, between, you know, President Trump and that president of that country, like a media war. And in fact, they're meeting in the White House. Secret meeting. Nobody knows about it. Yeah. And, and that's the thing we're not privy to. You know, uh, one of my colleagues, when this whole thing with Ukraine and Russia happened, uh, he's very, uh, you know, knowledgeable about world affairs and history. And he called me. He's like, man, I'm really worried about nuclear war. This, this is going to go down. I'm like, listen. Well, and I think that this con coincides with the release of Oppenheimer, the, how, how important right. it is that we understand exactly that, that the nuclear power that is out there. Yeah, and we should be worried. And we should be concerned and, uh, and right. aware. But what, what I, what I yes. shared with my friend was, yes. I said— don't you think that even if it's not the president's talking, that their diplomats are meeting to avert nuclear war at all options? Like, they're meeting to figure out how each side can oh, save yeah. face. There, there's a tremendous amount of diplomacy that has characterized That's the right. American um, political— Well, it's called MAD, uh, Mutually Assured Destruction, right? right? Even though the Americans are extremely hawkish in the media— we don't know what's happening in the, behind the scenes. I'm sure they're not behind the scenes because the, they know right? that. Yeah, because it would be I mean, stupid. It, I mean, we're we're talking about end end of it. I mean, even one weapon they going would de off destroy in all one... of Europe. All right. Well, why don't we wrap up? Yeah, we should probably wrap this up. We can go on forever. Let's wrap it up. Yeah, no, we'll definitely take it down different. You know what would be good is to do another talk on power, but you know its application, like apply it to different domains. You know, once you get the money. Then you get the, power. get the power. Once you get the power, then you get the lady. <laughs> I think he says that, right? Yeah, lady. Like Not ladies, but lady. <laughs> well, we thank Scarface. you for joining us. Um, my name's Kuldeep Tagore, and this is... I'm Rizeki. Um, think about it. Question it. Seek. Knowledge. Knowledge. Every way, every shape, every form. All right. Signing off. Adios. Adios, amigos. Want to emphasize that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely our own, and they the do not QR reflect the official lab. policies or positions of our employers and places of employment or any of their affiliates. Additionally, our discussions on this podcast should not be considered professional advice or endorsements of any particular organizations, products, or individuals. We're here to share our thoughts and stimulate conversation, but we encourage you to do your own research and form your own opinions.